This is the Delivery Space Podcast. Whether you're interested in software delivery, business change or transformation, we have some great content lined up for you. We launch into different areas of project delivery and bring you insights and experiences that you won't get from a book. Welcome, it's Nisha and Sharon, and this is our episode on the role data and PMO plays in transformation. Hey Sharon, how are you? Hi Nisha, I am very well and I'm so excited to get all of us together today. We have our lovely guest Mignon with us, welcome. Hi everybody, lovely to be here, lovely to see you Nisha and Sharon. <laughs> Thank you. Lovely it's, to see you. Um, it's awesome to have you here and join us on the Delivery Space podcast, a long time coming I know. <laughs> And I'm just going to give our listeners um, a quick introduction so they know a little bit more about you. So Mignon Mapplebeck is a portfolio CDIO in the UK delivering uh, digital and data transformation. And she's worked for a number of global organisations ranging from media, entertainment, retail, financial services to charity. She was listed in 2021 and 2022 as one of the UK's most influential women in technology and qualified in 2022 through the London Business School in Design Thinking. She is a strong advocate in advancing women in technology and providing an equitable, inclusive environment to all the teams she works with. Mignon, um, amazing, you know, to be listed as one of the UK's most influential women in technology is is absolutely fantastic. So firstly, congratulations to you. Thank you very much. Thank you, ladies. So I'm going to jump straight in with our first question for you then and ask you, what purpose does data play in running a transformation? We know that um, data is critical, but we'd like to delve a little deeper to understand the purpose that you feel it plays. Absolutely. And, and Sharon and Nisha, it's great to be here. And it's a, a fantastic question and a very relevant, pertinent question, particularly in this day of uh, data and digital transformation. Um, I mean, from our perspective, data is a, a huge key enabler in digital transformation. Um, it plays really an important role in not only obviously in transformation, but in huge amounts and aspects of the business. By basically leveraging data effectively, leveraging all the insights that gets generated, one can not only help drive your business forward, but you can identify opportunities and 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 products that you could potentially develop for your organization and you can do that through um, leveraging data um, whether that's through external sources whether it's through media or, or or content or it's within your own generated insights that your 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 teams do um, it also helps as i said operate um, identifying opportunities you can build those products but one of the key things, and which is almost like a golden, I believe that sort of data is a golden thread, not only in transformation, but also generally how you run your business, but particularly around um, customer experience. Because, for example, when you are building a digital transformation or you're building a, a kind of a, I would say, whether it's a digital roadmap or you're putting in some new digital products, whatever you wherever you are in terms of your digital journey, um, your first focus has got to be on your customer. What is your customer expectations? What is your customer experience? 
what is the current experience of your business? And that's from all different doors. So whether it's their digital experience and online going to the website or whether it's when they make a phone call to your business, to your, to your call center and their whole kind of online kind of their customer journey. And one of the key, that kind of golden thread is that it's really difficult to decide or to kind of leverage all that great insight about what your customers might need or what they want or what they don't like about what the service that you're offering. If they don't, if you don't have the data to be able to do that, and the data doesn't necessarily have to be, for example, your standard, uh, you know, surveys that you run. It can actually just be through proper qualitative conversations that you have, like real conversations. Um, and I think more so than ever, particularly with the development of things like, or the on uh, the I would say the growth of particularly social media platforms and omnichannel is that things like Facebook and TikTok and LinkedIn and and Twitter, there's a lot of insight being generated uh, by customers that could be pertaining to your organization. And, and in order to kind of help improve your organization or improve products and services and identify new innovative new solutions, a lot of that will come from the insight that you get generated from from customers. So it's it's that, I think, is like almost like the golden thread in terms of your organization. So if you start with the customer that helps drive your decisions when it, if you sort of just park that to your side for a set, second for a second and you look at purely at your organizational i'd say whether it's your organizational structure whether it's architecture or your business structure um a lot of decisions that you make about what you might be transforming to will come from data so for example if you've got a very complicated or very outdated technology legacy stack that's been there for 25 years it's a it's a bit like a computer that sits in in another room it's not backed up it's not in the cloud all of that information you will before you make a decision about whether you want to stay you want to stay on premise or you want to move to the cloud or the structure of the architecture will need to come from analyzing your current state and you can only do that through really um, having a look at the data having a look at structures looking at as is states looking at where you need to go so I think it's it's it sort of covers everything. Um, so from a customer perspective, from your business structure, everything. And then if you take it up to one sort of another another dimension, is looking from an organizational perspective is your mission and your strategy uh, of your organization. A lot of what your direction of travel is, where you want to kind of go to for an organization, having a lot of insight into where you need to go to so you don't have any blind spots is really key because that all the old days of having a, a 10 year strategy in organizations mm-hmm. 20 years ago, that's no buy. You, you could have a different strategy. You could have a new business model that needs to be spun up in the next six months. You've got another social media channel coming on. I mean, nobody would have foreseen something like Facebook coming 20 years ago. They probably thought about it. We knew about the internet. We knew about Google, but nobody would have seen the benefits of something like Facebook. Well, okay. That's questionable sometimes, but you know, things like that, um, we need to kind of just be, um, mindful of about in terms of transformation, but I'm absolutely certain that, um, data is the golden thread and it's pivotal to successful digitization, digitalization and digital transformation. And that's something that, um, certainly in the environments that Nisha and I work in too, that we can see how critical data is. And you said it's the golden thread and I, we, we totally, um, you know, agree and embrace that. And I love how you mentioned the customer experience. So using that data, keeping the customer, um, you know, in mind at all times and focusing on what the overall strategy of, of the business is. Because like you just mentioned there, long gone are the days when you've got a 10 year, you know, <laughs> strategy. 
particularly, you know, through through COVID, the pandemic, we've seen how quickly businesses need to change. And that data becomes critical in terms of driving that strategic direction. So I can totally relate to uh, those points that you've made there, Mignon. So thank you for that. So, guys, we talk about um, data and and having that data is great, right? Because it allows us to make those decisions. But then we've also spoken about strategy and the fact that at very short notice, your, your target of your strategy might change. You may need to pivot as an organization. And there is an element of sensing around that that needs to happen. So you've got the data, but there's an element of sensing what is right to put out into the market or how to respond to the market. So how much does intuition play a part uh, versus data-driven decisions? Minion, what's your experience in that area? Well, it's really interesting because I think they both have a part to play, um, but it just depends on the weighting. And I'll explain a little bit more about what I mean by that. So from my perspective, um, I'll probably start with what I personally think what the difference is between intuition and data-driven approaches are. So I think um, intuition-based decisions are based on a lot of things like perhaps some personal experiences, um, sometimes your gut feeling, that instinct, um, that kind of personal perspective. And, you know, you've been in meetings and somebody said, I really want to do this because I feel that's the right thing to do. But you want to sort of take a step back, but then you say, but where are the facts, where are the where are the numbers that can actually ensure that whatever we're doing is making, we're making the right decision. And then sometimes you get that sort of kind of opposites of, of thinking and, and different ways of thinking. And then how do you kind of pull that all together to kind of get a proper a couple right. of decisions get made? Whereas data-driven decisions are really based on on sort of verifiable verifiable facts, objective evidence, historical data, kind of what we call kind of factual-based decision making. So it's 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 quite different, um, but I do believe that they they do have a part to play. And and I'll tell tell you a little bit about from a from a design thinking where we talk about where that kind of intuition comes in. But I thought if we sort of talk a little bit about the helpful nature of kind of intuition, I think. Intuition can be a really helpful tool. And as you talked about, sometimes you've got to make quite quick decisions and executives particularly struggle with, sometimes they can struggle with waiting for the right, the perfect time to make a decision because they're waiting on the right data to come in. So it could be that end of monthly report because they might be thinking, okay, well, what are, what are the sales values going to be in that country? Do we need to expand our operations in that country? Um, what are we? How is that particular operation performing in terms of that manufacturing operation? Are we? Do we need to cap, put some more capital expenditure, put, capitalize some more equipment? And so, a lot of executives have, on a daily basis, this constant kind of pivot of having to make decisions really quickly. But when time is limited, um, and when a decision maker has to kind of make a decision, sometimes intuition does play a part. And uh, there's a lot of neuroscience behind intuition and that's why I sort of uh, I sort of I can sometimes feel that there's a supporting um, arguments for both because sometimes what we can talk about in terms of intuition-based decision making comes from our own personal experience about what we cover because there's a huge amount of neuroscience behind when it comes to making some decisions because somebody will come in from an informed perspective they'll go actually this is the right thing to do and somebody would say but you've made that se- that decision in five seconds and but if you look at it that's because that person has been in, in that industry for 20 years. They've done everything in that industry. They've seen everything. They can make that decision quite quickly. Hmm. So on the face of it, it might be seen as intuition, but it actually is 
action-informed decisions. So we've got to be, I think, always have a strong balance. My personal, I mean, this is my personal preference, even although they both have a part to play, I think if uh, the weighting of it needs to be more focused in the data-driven based decision-making mm-hmm. because um, it can be, if you just base all your decisions on 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 intuition it can sometimes cloud the the process so you you might be making decisions that might be people might be saying could be slightly biased or something like that so there's always kind of a key balance um and and sometimes intuition might not always be the most reliable because as you say we've got so there might be biases in the in the actual data that gets provided so there's a lot of things but where i really strongly support data-driven decisions is that it really helps that um decisions are really grounded in quantifiable historical occurrences rather than sometimes opinions and su- and subjective natures of, of things so i think they both have a part to play um and the purpose of that can really lead to more accurate and reliable decision making it can help influence those biases that i talk about and sometimes the errors that get reduced because sometimes it's it's better to make a decision from an informed perspective where you can see the numbers right. than say well i think this could be the wrong thing or i think this might be the right thing so that's just i hope does that make sense in terms of the differences between intuition and data driven and that they both sort of have a, a part to play but obviously data driven is probably probably more reliable <laughs> yeah i'd yeah. i'd completely agree there i think intuition has a value to play but i think we have to be very aware of where that intuition is coming from So, you know, it could be, well, we could be around a table, guys, and I could be saying to you both, I I feel like we need to come from from this area to tackle a certain problem that's on the table. But it may also come from my negative experiences in a similar scenario. It could come from positive experiences in a different scenario, and I'm gunning for a particular direction. So it is really important to have that awareness within yourself around where that intuition is actually coming from. And can you back it up with the data that you're seeing on the table? And, you know, what 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 story is that data actually telling you? I think that's it's for me. Absolutely. I agree. It's got to be a balanced outlook, taking both into account. I, th- I think as well, um, where, where it's great when you talk about sort of like the different sort of decisions and sometimes that intuition that can sometimes be a bit tricky. Mm-hmm. So, for example, um, I'm the, there's different in terms of things like I sort of studied a lot, of, did a lot of research into design thinking. And when organizations are wanting to sort of develop new products and services, um, the process of kind of design thinking kind of helps facilitate that uh, where they go through this kind of process of kind of ideation you do a lot of empathy mapping, you understand mm-hmm. your customer perspective and you, you do what they call the equivalent of like brainstorming, which is a lot of equivalent of you focus on a few key questions that you want to answer and then you do like focus brainstorming for a short bit of time to kind of produce a set of outcomes. So what you do is with the teams that you're working with, you do what they call kind of a divergence of kind of thinking where you get lots and lots of ideas where people people feel very inclusive that's where kind of there's a lot of like things like psychological safe spaces can be mm. built in that space because have you ever been in in sometimes meetings where people go they don't feel like their voice has been heard because somebody mm. has just jumped in made a decision and <laughs> like where did that come from where right. what about my, what, what my perspective yeah so so that's where so that's where kind of a lot of that a little bit of that sort of gray area of intuition and and kind of data-based uh, d- decision-making can kind of play a role, but there is a lot more kind of a creative element in the sort of ideation phase. Once you get to a point where you start converging your ideas 
and you start saying, well, okay, we're not gonna do we're not gonna do a nuclear powered car today. That's not gonna be feasible. That's not gonna work. Let's just say we're trying to create a new car. Um, we're probably gonna stick with maybe maybe a new type of electric car or a new electric motorcycle. We think that's probably feasible. Uh, this so you start sort of people start having kind of discussions. But once you get to that point of where you're starting to narrow down your options when you're doing that brainstorming, that's where data-driven decision and data really comes into its own, where people go out and do research and say, well, actually, we think actually developing a new a new car uh, that does the following will be really valuable because we've researched it and we've come up with the following ideas. So really, it's really it's a good, solid balance to be able to get those together. Hopefully, at the end of it, you get a, fa- a fantastic product. But it's just, as you say, it's about finding a balance. But yeah, it's it's each to his own, depending on where, where everybody is in their kind of space of delivery as well. Yeah. And I, I love that idea of being accepting as a facilitator, wanting to have that environment where you are in you know you're you're inclusive you're including all of those divergent thoughts and then coming up with those narrow down options together as a group and i guess as humans right we're collecting data about each other all the time about our ideas we're absorbing it we don't recognize it as data because it's not on a spreadsheet but we are collecting data about our behaviors our speech our movement we're collecting data about each other all the time. And that contributes, right, to the decisions that come out in that room. Absolutely. Great. Um, so I've actually got a lovely question for you, Sharon. Is that all right yeah, with you? That's I, fine. Oh, go no, for it. <laughs> fantastic. So um, we've obviously talked a lot about data-driven decisions and we've talked about a lot about intuition and there's been some great discussions uh, from what we've heard yeah I mean it's fascinating I love these type of discussions because what we're doing now is we we're sharing our knowledge and we're learning as part of the process which mm. is just fantastic and I love these sort of sessions um I'm, I'm a huge fan um of of PMO particularly uh, program management officers mm-hmm. um what do you re- think is what is the role of PMO in transformation and, and why do you think they're actually needed Great question. So when I think about PMO and transformation, I think about control, data, insights, governance and strategy. Those are some of the key things that come to mind. So going along the data thread then, so we spoke about having accurate data-led decision-making and there's no better, um, you know, no better way in terms of collecting that information than via the PMO. They are one of the best placed um, teams, I feel, um, to collect that accurate data in order to help provide clarity, help provide control. Um, We manage things like risks and issues. Uh, We also spoke about how businesses may need to change strategic direction and do that quite quickly. And um, using some of that data that PMOs can can provide, can help provide um, you know, insights in terms of which direction do we go in? And that is based on factual information. I also think another big role that the PMO plays is, um, like I said, making sure that we are aligned to strategy mm-hmm. and that we are um, seeking that re- return on investment, aligning to our business case and not kind of going off on a tangent with everybody doing their own thing. So again, by use of PMO and the controls and, and governance, 
they can make sure that we are um, seeking that return on investment, which is really important. You know, um, companies spend a lot of money in terms of these these digital transformation programs. So we need to make sure that there is that ROI at the end of it. Mm. Um, also, when we think about PMOs, they are um, like a central hub, I, I guess. I like to call them the, the heartbeat of organisations in a way, because often these transformations occur in a much bigger portfolio. And we need to be looking at dependency management. We need to be managing uh, resources, finances, um, managing feedback loops through continuous improvements. So the way to bring that all together is via the PMO who have people with those skill sets to enable all of this to take place. And then the final thing that I think I'll, I'll talk about is in terms of adoption and um, embedding change. And again, um, PMOs, we support with making sure we've got the right champions onboarded in the business to make sure that the adoption is smooth, training, learning sessions. So, so really, you know, my question to, and challenge to people out there is when you're doing any kind of digital transformation, why would you not have a PMO? <laughs> and uh, one of the things that I do is um, recovery work. So I often go into organizations that try and do these types of transformation programs. Some of them think that they can get away with not having a PMO. It doesn't go well. And then you have to recover and repair. So it's much better to start off, you know, on the right foot with the right controls in place and make sure that you have a suitable PMO set up from the beginning. And from my perspective, that will definitely ensure that you're on the right path for success. Excellent. And and I agree sort of so much, so much with all your points. And I think um, we spoke a little bit earlier, um, a little bit about the fact that sometimes actually setting up a PMO, some of the change management challenges to kind of getting people to be brought into the importance of a PMO and how it's evolved over the years, particularly with the likes of new methodologies coming through like design thinking and agile and the speed of organizations. But I think PMO is as a structural for an organization, whether it's digital transformation or wider for wider kind of organization um, elements is is that it um it's almost like a sort of a safe guardrail it's kind of just keeps you a little bit on the track and i think i found um historically that sometimes all uh, pmos have always been sort of thought of as a bit of a policing activity and it's not actually it's there to as you say to help ensure we manage the benefits of the organization ensuring the critical dependency management because if you've got a large portfolio of projects and programs happening a lot of them will sometimes draw on the same resources so things like resource management comes into it you've only got a finite budget i mean we'd like to have millions and millions of pounds to be able to spend on all the projects that would be fantastic um there's some organizations that i know that have got um and this is sort of in the performance racing where they've got like they used to have budgets of like 100 million where PMO just did not factor yeah and but I think retrospectively they're thinking well maybe we should have because we realized if we did this part we would have saved this etc etc and as you say it's such an important part and having to go back recovery Mm. it's much easier to go in and get some of the processes embedded from the beginning so Mm. you can really have the sort of the guardrails that help you ensure success as part of your transformation Exactly. And it's it's so important to have those um guardrails and, and you know, and keep people honest. And also, um, like I said, it's it's control and providing some kind of consistency so we can look at that data and be able to analyze that data 
in a methodical way, which is so important in the overall decision making. So um, obviously, I'm a big fan of uh, PMO. So if people are thinking about doing this type of work, make sure you set up your PMO right at the outset for success. Agreed. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) So this leads me nicely into a question for Nisha now around coaching. So you've obviously got many years um, as a coach and I'm keen to know from a coach's perspective what your tips are for successful transformation. Oh this one's a a rich and juicy question. Um, I have some anchor points personally myself and my my anchor points are a to check my ego at the door and learn as much as I can about the organization first so when I'm invited into an organization I would try and understand really what is their purpose behind seeking a transformational journey so you know are they seeking transformation at team level are they working at organizational level what is their overall strategy behind that transformation and what's really driving it because then you get a really good sense of how how well leadership is brought in to that transformation because we've all been in scenarios right where we're, we've been invited into 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 situations or into organizations and they say they're on a transformational journey but actually that boils down to adopting agile within a few teams but then there is a bigger picture around that and in my experience it's a harder journey when you're just focusing at team level but the organization has an overall dominant culture which doesn't align to swifter ways of working the agility that you want to bring about so my advice would be to to really start thinking at um, the organizational level for that transformation journey and really understand what the outcomes that 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 organization is looking for and driving towards and that before you start thinking about the frameworks, how you're going to work with the teams, the types of ways of working that are going to suit the teams and have an inclusive approach for th- mm. for that whole time. So it's not really about like a and people label it as an agile transformation. And, you know, we tend to say, oh, we've achieved an agile transformation. We've done an agile transformation. And and then a voice inside me rises up when I hear that to say, you're only just starting because that agile transformation journey is ongoing for mm. you. Now that you're on it, now is the time where you've got to become really, really wily around the ways of working that you're implementing, how you're getting feedback. Sharon, one thing that you said really struck a chord with me around continuous improvement, mm-hmm. how you're capturing mm. that data from the team so that they can continuously improve, how mm. you're actually capture, capturing sentiment analysis from the teams to understand you know, how, how do the teams actually feel about working in this environment? Are they empowered? And as a coach, are you creating that environment where the teams do feel that they're empowered to take the decisions on how they're going to work towards that strategy? So I think these are all really, really important points and you can capture data on them around transformational journeys from a coaching perspective. These are key things to look out for. So um. The other thing, Sharon, that you said around like PMOs, and, and yeah. you've both talked about it in this session, how PMOs are actually evolving 
from you know the the report the report writing police or the you know the the project police or the portfolio police that that was the original like view but they are so evolving and I'm really proud to see that more value driven more around OKRs and being brave enough to work with exec to set those OKRs at organizational level so we can see how they actually connect to other teams across the organization to fulfill them. Um, I think it's a it's a really cool and exciting space to be. I agree. And I like that you said, Nisha, it's um this is less about framework. You know, it's yeah. more about understanding what the outcomes are and ways of working and how people feel. I like that yeah. you brought that to the forefront because sometimes I guess we've all seen people fall into that trap of thinking, you know, it's an agile transformation and getting stuck on the framework, whereas it's less about that, isn't it? Absolutely. It's an ongoing process and a process that needs everybody to um, address behaviours, mindsets and how they need to evolve going forward right no one gets off the hook right if you're looking for a transformation I guess the like the nub of what I'm trying to say is nobody gets off the hook within your organization it's a transformation right from the top all the way down to the teams who are actually executing the work totally agree with that It's excellent. We talk a lot and we, we touched a little bit on um, the uh, the kind of sentiment analysis that I think there's been a huge shift um, over the past number of years about the importance of understanding sentiment analysis, even from a customer experience perspective, as well as within teams, because people's thoughts and feelings are hugely important to actually sustaining um, any sort of a framework or a model or anything, because that needs to be taken into account. And, and I think it's quite a challenge sometimes in organizations for people to be open about it because they're concerned if they raise any negativity about um, a particular, something that's been uh, implemented, it might be seen as adverse. But I think we, it's it's part of the process is we welcome that feedback. I think, as you say, creating that equitable and inclusive environment because it helps us with blind spots because we might be thinking we're doing something fantastic and we think it's all working. But as you say, going in and having the discussions with the team, and that could be one-to-one discussions, it could be part of group sessions, or it could be through surveys, whatever we think. But understanding that is really key. And and as you say, it's as much as data is the golden thread, I think people are, are the custodians of that golden thread. So um, yeah, I think it's such an important and really valuable topic that we're talking about at the moment. I fully agree, guys. And we've had a fantastic session. Mignon, I'm going to like be bold and ask you to come back for a part two. Oh, fantastic. I'd be delighted to join you, ladies. <laughs> <laughs> guys, that brings us almost... Sorry, go on, Mignon. Oh, that was it. I'm just, I'd just be happy to join you for another oh. session. <laughs> yeah, Thank you. <laughs> that would be awesome. Guys, it brings us to the end of our session uh, today. Let me let me um, kind of uh, recap in terms of the takeaways. First, from you, Sharon, what 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 are the takeaways that you want to leave our listeners with? So, I think um, I'm going to take a little bit from what what you ladies have said, tied in with PMO, and um, it's thinking about your customer and your outcomes first. You know, this is not about any particular framework, methodology. We need to keep the the customer and those outcomes in mind 
And then when it comes to um, PMO, gone are the days of PMO being about policing, but it's actually supporting the business to get that return on investment in a controlled manner and um, help drive the business strategy. So set your PMO up at the outset and it will help ensure success. Um, Mignon, how about you? What's your key takeaway? Oh, um, for me, it's just been a fantastic session and I feel like I, I learned so much. Um, so I think for me, what sort of has definitely stuck out is really, again, reiterating this kind of you know, this focus on customer and that the, fo- the, the focus of the customer is probably the most important thing. Um, and I think from a the that all of these kind of components have such a huge part to play, and I think more so now than ever, having a PMO structure in, enabled right at the beginning of your transformation is really key because then it prevents the kind of things of having to always necessarily go back and do the recovery work, which can lead to lots of expense and potential challenges and projects having to get parked and all that sort of stuff. So I'm absolutely supportive that a PMO is here to stay for a long, long time. Um, from an agile perspective and, and particularly coaching, I think there's there's a lot of uh, what we can, even though I'm a huge advocate for data and it's part of my career and what I do, there's a huge element of kind of sentiment analysis and understanding that we're taking people on a journey no matter what we're doing. And it's a continuous journey because Nisha, I completely hear you about that. People think there's a sort of a start and an end about transformation that once you're on board, oh, we've all done, we can just kind of go out for a cup of tea that's not a bad idea but we go out for a cup of tea and we're done but actually it's continuous we continuously transform and we're continuously looking at ways of improving and 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 having that continuous uh, sort of continuous process improvement and continuous improvement mindset so for me it's just been hugely hugely it's such a rich conversation with the both of you Thank you, guys. I, um, I've i loved this conversation. Um, for me, the main takeaways are around being focused, being data-led. I loved our discussion around the intuition versus data and being quite um, astute around you know, where that intuition is coming from um, around the room when, you, when we're working with teams and, and also when we're looking at that data and trying to get as much data-driven evidence um, around the steps that we're taking and how that shapes strategies that we're looking at how that shapes the way ways of working turn out for organizations so um, yeah I've taken that away from it Mignon you've um, you sparked off some really cool ideas um, within my mind as well so thank you so much for joining us today it's been thank you Mignon it's been oh it's been a pleasure and before we wrap up which platforms can people find you on if they want to work with you or connect with you um i think the best form of first contact i've got a website um www.seconsulting.co.uk but the best form i tend to be on linkedin majority of the time i put a lot i've got a a full digital transformation reimagined series video series that i regularly release on digital transformation around data design thinking i've got a few episodes out on youtube but if anybody wants to get in touch just reach out on linkedin that's the best form of contact perfect thank you everybody for watching and listening look out for our next video and please like follow and subscribe bye for now bye bye bye